Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Conversations of the Way. My name is Carlos. I am your host for the day or for the evening or whatever time you're listening to this. Um, so today we're going to keep kind of with the theme about the deceiver, uh, but we're going to focus more on the Messiah, on Christ, as we should, more than the deceiver himself. If you haven't listened to the short uh, from the last episode, you know, please do so. Um, you don't need to listen to that one to kind of get the whole context of this, uh, but I think it will kind of build in some perspective of some like life lessons um, in, in that sense. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, we're going to talk about the temptation of Christ as we see it in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 1 through 11. It's an interesting interaction between the one we call Satan, the deceiver, or what a version of the Bible calls it also the tempter. And the interaction between our Savior, the Redeemer, um, our Messiah. Something to keep in mind for future reference, um, like I mentioned in the short, is that all these are, are titles. But just like our Savior has a name, so does the one we call Satan. But like I said, we're going to have that for another conversation. So I found these 11 verses really interesting. I probably read them, you know, so many times. And I understood the, the main idea of it. The main idea being that Jesus was tempted and he was able to surpass temptation. But as I started breaking down the verses and reading them in context with the rest of the verses before and after, kind of gave it a different meaning to it. So let's break the verses down, just a few, to, a few at a time. But before we go to verse 1 of chapter 4, let's look at the prior verses, the verses in chapter 3. Now, I think this is important because then we can contextually and holistically uh, miss the importance of it all. You see, in the original text, there were no chapters or verses. And what I mean by that is when they originally wrote the verse, right? Um the, the book of the chapters. Having it broken down, the text like it is now in chapters and verses, uh, to my understanding, it didn't start till the, the fourth century. There are obvious advantages to having a large book as the scriptures broken down because it can help us like quickly reference things and, you know, quote things. But there is a disadvantage as well, and it could be a big one, is that we can actually lose the actual understanding of what is trying to be conveyed because someone at some point decided to make a stop on a chapter or sentence wherever they felt um, it needed to be. So as you read the Bible, make sure you're paying attention to these things, right? Sometimes you see chapters titled or parts of a chapter titled but make sure that you're reading before and after uh, because you, we, it's possible to miss some things there. So what happens before Christ is led into this possible temptation? Well, he is first baptized by John, who in case you didn't know was his cousin. I, I didn't. But during the baptism, he receives the Holy Spirit. And our Heavenly Father says, quote, This is my beloved Son. With who I am well pleased. End quote. And then chapter 4 begins. 
if you keep in mind that in the original text there are no divisions, then Christ was immediately led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Having the chapters split the way they were, you may think, at least I did, that there was a pause there and that maybe days or even months went by before he went into the wilderness. But no, it appears to me that he went straight into that temptation. I think this is important to think about. Sometimes we have been led to believe that now that we're believers or saved, that we're no longer going to deal with temptations and difficulties. But harsh reality is that that's not true. I believe that we can draw from these verses that temptation may increase after we have made the commitment to follow him. But what happens if we can overcome those temptations? What did the Messiah do after? We'll get to that, but let us get back to what happened in the wilderness. Before the temptation started by the deceiver, it says in verse 4 that he fasted for 40 days and nights, which is an immensely powerful number in the scripture. As we know, the Israelites walked in the desert for 40 years before getting to the promised land. There is obviously some correlation here. There are no coincidences in him. Christ knew that he was going to go into temptation. You would think that instead of fasting, he would instead feast to prepare himself for the temptation that was coming. But he did the opposite. So what sustained him during these 40 days of no food? Well, according to verse 2, he was hungry after the 40 days, but not during. And we'll see in a little bit what actually sustained him. This is to me also shows a testament of the importance of fasting in our lives. So, of course, what is the first temptation the deceiver throws at him? food, a desire of the flesh. But the tempter does not just offer him food. He tempts him by telling him, quote, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread, End quote. It is like the deceiver was mocking him. Now, the Messiah could have, could have responded to him in many ways, but he replies, quote, it is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. End quote. And this is what sustained him for 40 days. The word. In some of your Bibles, you may see the word of Christ or his words written in red. And hopefully your Bible would also show a small letter next to this verse that you can reference in the footnotes. Now, this verse comes straight from what is called the Old Testament from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 3. The way that Jesus fought this temptation was by quoting the word, Scripture. The Messiah, obviously we know, was very well versed in the word of the Father. He equipped himself with it. He covered himself with it. Protected himself with the word. Should we not do the same as well? So, let us get busy and feed ourselves with the word of our Heavenly Father. 
most of us are starving for it and we don't even know it. All right, so what is the tempter's, the devil's counter move now? Being the sly snake he thinks he is, he also starts using scripture, but at the same time, he keeps mocking Jesus. In verse 5, the deceiver takes him to the highest point of the holy city and says to him, quote, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. End quote. <laughs> Satan takes these verses from Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. What this tells me is that Satan is well-versed in the scriptures as well. He knows them better than me and you. I would also strongly recommend that you go read this psalm. What I find interesting is that you can see part of the name of our Savior in Psalm 91. Because his name is transliterated into the English, we miss it, but it is there. And I'll give you a hint. It's in the last verse of the chapter. But it's really cool how it all works together um, to the end of the verse. So, how does Jesus respond to him? Did he come back with a different move? A chess move? No. He sticks to the same tactic as it is a proven tactic, it's the best tactic, it's the strongest tactic. He keeps on using the word. So Christ responds, quote, Again, it is written, you should not put God to the test. End quote. Jesus sticks with the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 16, as his reply. By this point, the deceiver, a.k.a. El-Satan, has given up his mocking and just goes for a Hail Mary, right? Goes for a long shot. He takes Jesus to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says to him in verse 9, quote, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. End quote. And Christ replies to him with, You guessed it the book of Deuteronomy, but this time he uses chapter 6, verse 13, and it states, quote, You shall worship God, and him only shall you serve. End quote. Seeing Christ rebuke the enemy three times with this book, with the book of Deuteronomy, is enough to go and get me to go read this book very carefully to see what it's telling us about fighting temptations of the enemy. Now, make sure you read the first four books first, and, you know, don't worry about understanding it all on the first read. Uh, very few people, I don't think anybody gets it the first time. But, you know, any book that we that we read, right, we always start on page one. And I think the scriptures are no different. You know, we need to start on page one, Genesis 1-1, to kind of start gaining understanding of it as we go. Anyway, all this ends in verse 11, when the devil flees from him and then angels come and administer to him. We may also think that that does not make sense for Satan to offer kingdoms to Jesus. I mean, everything belongs to the Father, correct? Well, I don't think we're wrong for thinking that to a certain extent. At the end, everything does, does belong to the Father, and the Father has given all things into the hands of Christ, as John chapter 3, verse 35 states. But it does appear that a deceiver can have some control but control over what and who. It is clear, according to John chapter 12, verse 31, that he is ruler of this world. 
I think it is fair to see that he is in control of a world of unbelievers and sinners. Those who have been snared by him to do his will. As 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 26 states, He has domain over them. And I don't think that's too hard to see. I mean, if you just looking at the news, which I don't recommend doing it, honestly. <laughs> don't watch the news. But, it, you know, it, if you see some of the news, right, you see, there's nothing good in there. It's always something bad, horrible happening. If you drive through the city, you can see all kinds of things that just don't look right and just, you know, evil. And sadly, even like social media, right? Uh, so this world has has been snared under him for a very long time. Now, we have free will, and we can allow him to snare us, so we can find freedom in him. So, what about the ones who have decided not to follow a deceiver? Well, Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14 states, quote, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. End quote. So what did the Messiah do after the temptations? Let us look at the temptations again. Let's just go through them again, one by one. The first one was to make bread out of stones. We can draw from this that Satan wants us filled by things of the flesh instead by the word of God. The second temptation was for Jesus to throw himself and the angels will catch him because that's what is written, right? That's what he says in the Bible. I think there's so much to draw from here. Like Christ says, we should not test God. We must make sure we're doing his will and not ours. So it will behoove us to not go around doing this because this is what we think or this is what we feel that we need to do. We always need to be in prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, asking him to show us his will in our lives. Just like the deceiver was twisting the scriptures to make Christ sin, also let's, let us make sure we're not allowing other people or even ourselves to twist the scriptures for our own unrighteousness. Or even maybe righteousness. That's what we think. A few ways to make sure this does not happen is to make sure we know the scriptures well. Many so-called leaders of the faith cherry-pick scriptures to build a deceitful narrative, whether consciously or unconsciously. The third temptation was of power. How many people of power in all areas of life have we seen fall? Way too many. And this unfortunately causes the ones that are weak in the faith to doubt. They become a stumbling block to the brothers and sisters. So, let us not seek any power. All praise, honor, and glory should go to the Creator. After Jesus surpassed all these temptations through the Word, He then went and started His great ministry. In the same way, we may have to do the same before we are called out to do His will. Final thoughts. We give the enemy way too much credit, as I mentioned on the short we do not see the Messiah having these long battles and conversations with the tempter. He goes straight to the scripture and keeps it short. So, 
do not think that you need to be well-versed in scripture to defeat temptation. We all should be well-versed, but we all must start somewhere. And the word is so powerful that if we understand it correctly, it does not take much to lead us out of temptations. Do not go back and forth with the deceiver. Tell him, be gone. Tell him it is written. Give him a verse and he will flee from you. The rest is up to you. And I pray that we all turn away from our sins and sin no more. Alright guys, that is all I have for you today. I hope you have a good rest of the weekend. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to have any podcasts for net, any episodes for next week. Um, but we'll see. Alright, you guys be safe. Be good. Stay in the faith. Stay in the word. Take those little steps to open the scriptures and read a little bit. That will just take you a step closer to be in, in relationship with him. All right, everyone. See you next time.